Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Jordan Ingley, a Portland, Oregon-based landscape photographer with a background in audiovisual production and live music photography. Jordan and I had a chance to talk about post-processing, education, social media, as well as his ideas about using every bit of the image data possible to make truly inspiring photos. Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to join me. It is a, it's currently a beautiful, hot end of summer day in Portland. Um, not a bad day to be inside in the air conditioning. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's much cooler down here in the studio, you know? Yeah. And where I'm, do you have a, um, you have your studio is it is it a downstairs sort of a yeah i've been delegated to living in basements for like the last five or six years just to like afford to live in portland still so right right um yeah like me and me and my lady and a dog and a cat you know we're uh we're sharing a pretty pretty nice basement um apartment in like cool. woodstock woodstock oh, area. Nice. so yeah 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 uh but man if it were upstairs it'd be like double the cost so exactly yeah. summertime it's great you know it's like uh the the earth air conditioner yeah know, keeps us the earth is is the is the best insulation Insulator. yeah totally we yeah. our our place is kind of half and half it's kind of a daylight uh daylight basement on one side mm-hmm. and the garage and so it's kind of weird because the air conditioning keeps it almost too cold down there in the summertime yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah, then like, and, turn the heater on you know yeah yeah my kids are like hey, it's kind of cold in here can we uh i'm like no we're not turning the heat on <laughs> It's 90 degrees outside. Um, well, and then to, conversely, today I was doing a real estate shoot and I was upstairs in a house with no air conditioning. Oh, yeah. Which was you're like, nah. <laughs> hope the client doesn't walk in because you're just sweating all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I and I was wearing long pants like an idiot. So oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Yeah. Well, um, so I'm so glad we could do this. I you and I met in person for the first time last week. Yeah. Which was really cool. cool. And mm-hmm. and I've been following your work for, my gosh, I want to say a couple of years now. Um, I think mainly, I think I got to know you, your, your photography through our mutual friend, Josh. Yeah, um, totally. Yep. Who came out and hung with us uh, this weekend. That's uh, uh, Josh Paris. But uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, your where you're from, what you do, um, that sort of thing, maybe your background. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in upstate New York. Um, I moved out, uh, moved out to Oregon in 2007. I think it's, it was, you know, so, um, yeah, I spent, spent my childhood and stuff in school and college and in New York, um, Mm -hmm. uh, moved out here in 2007 and, um, at the time, most of my work and, uh, employment, um, revolved around music and playing mm-hmm. music and teaching music. Um, eventually, um, basically most of my twenties out of, out of college was, was playing, playing and teaching and gigging. Um, sure. what do you and, play? Uh, guitar and bass. Um, but guitar was the main, main instrument and I've been sure. playing, playing since I was like 15 or something. Oh, wow. 16. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, you know, the twenties was like, Hey, I want to write original music and, 
be in a band and 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 you know do the thing and 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 then i visited oregon um one year when i was in college because my my folks moved out here and my sister lives out here and i i kind of fell in love with portland when you know and so when i got out of college i, I basically sold sold everything it didn't fit in a pickup truck and did the did a cross-country drive by myself for like a month and a half um yeah. and just landed in portland yeah that's um, sort of a rite of passage, I think, for a lot of uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of musicians. Uh, yeah, definitely, and and it's 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 interesting because you know the when I got out here, I lived down in in Salem Kaiser area. Um, yeah, so it was an interesting experience, kind of at first living in Oregon, um, coming from New York. You know, right. um, I I had to slow my roll. Um, and learn to like curb the edginess of the things <laughs> I do and say. Um, how long has it been now? It's been you know uh, thirteen years, and I'm I'm still a little sharp around the edges. Uh, I tend to be. <laughs> um, but living down there, I worked in a music store, and um, from sales, I kind of like I I was working with this one woman and her daughter actually, and she wanted to play acoustic guitar and she was like into Taylor Swift and all this stuff. And at the time, like our, our owner of our music store was like, learn a couple pop songs for your guitar, you know? So I knew a Taylor Swift song at the time and played a couple chords and like sold this whole guitar package to this right, woman. Right. And then she, of course was like, do you teach, you know, my daughter doesn't like a lot of people and you're, you know, you're pretty nice. And at the time I had like long hair, it was very Jack Blackie. And, uh, uh, that was like my first student. And then I basically was able to like pick up enough students that I didn't need to work in sales anymore. Um, so I was stoked to get into music and I started teaching and, and then I eventually moved to Portland with some friends and from the Salem area and some other musicians and, and got into a band and then we started meeting up with, um, I met a bunch of different, uh, venue owners at the time and, and other bands that we were playing with in like the scene from like 2008 to 2012 or so. Sure. And it was kind of, um, it was a really cool, like scene we had going, you know, it's probably, I don't know, 500 people across different genres of music sort of but right. like it, it was you know there was um it was just like the heyday for a lot of the people i know in my age bracket oh, in portland you know um it. and it's you know it's portland has brewed so many different of these swells of like scenes over the years too so um but basically gigging playing music you know from college out all the way out to here most of my work has kind of evolved around music for some reason well, I think that being being a musician gives you a certain understanding of audio, uh, understanding of of just kind of that whole oral spectrum that that I and, and it it's it translates. Well, and as a when I was teaching music, I the way I approached it was always about being having it be a language of communication, and I found that like music and photography and a lot of other art forms share a lot of the same intrinsic like communicative like traits like there's these right. things about them that are a, another way to translate meaning from one person to another or whatever you know so sure with music it was like learn the learn the alphabet learn how to write a sentence learn how to you know sentence you know learn how to compose you know photography i'm, I'm kind of approaching it in the same way as i'm like building my way to teach people eventually is going to be a very similar 
way is like yeah. learn learn the words and the letters and the punctuation and then you can figure out how to write a sentence and a paragraph right. and a novel you know makes a lot of sense yeah um so i have a, so, i have to interrupt you and ask a question yeah so you are telling me you lived in the kaiser area kaiser mm-hmm. salem area and you worked yep. in a music store yeah what music store did you work at uptown music <laughs> Yeah. Okay. This is going to kind of weird you out if you didn't know this already. Okay. Yeah. I worked yeah, it up. I worked at Uptown Music for four years. Oh shit! So you know Jim and oh yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, it's shit and Paul. Do you ever yeah. meet Paul? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And Paul's a good Gee. friend. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's we're gonna have to catch up on that offline because that has nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with <laughs> yeah photography or whatever that's a, else. But that's quite the wow. tangent. Well, cool. Um, yeah. So man. so you took you took all of that. You moved up to Portland. We're mm-hmm. doing the music scene. And kind of what I'm, I would love to know how, why are you a photographer now? Where did that come from? What's the, uh, what's the connection? Oh, well, I kind of, um, I studied video production mainly in college and I kind of was specializing that and, and like had always like filmed bands yeah. and I was always envious of concert photographers. Okay. And even like my, I think my first experience with, media and was like old skateboard and like snowboarding videos. And I always sure. wanted to be like a snowboard videographer was a dream, <laughs> you know, or something, you know? Um, and when I got into music, I was doing video. So like I'd be gigging and I'd set up my own cameras and, and edit and, 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 um, produce my own stuff for the bands I was in and try sure. to sell that to other bands. And, and I still was always just super envious of like professional concert photographers, you know, um, right. mainly because their cameras were so much more expensive than all the crappy little video cameras I was using at the time. Of course. Um, and I kind of just was always on this trip towards like wanting to be more of a photographer than just a videographer. And the amount of labor and time and energy that went into to recording and editing and producing videos for bands that by the time the van like signed off on the final project, like they might not even have the same drummer anymore. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, been there, been there. Yeah. You know, so I'd have these projects that would take 50, hundred hours and then just go into like, you know, the archive of, you know, death or whatever for videos that just never get seen. Um, so basically, from there, I, you know, I was able to get into, um, I, at the time had Panasonic GH3 mirrorless video cameras. I had an, sure. like, a, l- a little army of them, like five of them. And I was running them into a video switcher and multi-track audio recording bands. And I was just, I was live cutting video of the show and then doing a mix down and slapping them together. And, um, and at the, you know, I, I kind of just started taking those GH3s and, started to shoot photos of, of concerts, you know, sure. and the concerts I wanted to go to. And, and because of my relationships with the, with four or five, uh, venues in town, I was able to kind of like, Hey, there's a band coming through. Can I get into the pit? You know? And, yeah. um, and it kind of grew towards just like forcibly pushed myself into like photography basically. Yeah. And, and as the, um, the oh man shooting concerts with i was shooting with manual lenses mm-hmm. uh with a panasonic micro four thirds uh G, gh3s and i still am surprised with the, some of the shots i've pulled off and gotten from that time um but I, that's what really pushed me to like fall in love with photography and like 
I, I took, I took a photo class in college. Sure. Um, and I kind of was always pointing it at something that was landscapey, you know? Yeah. Um, but for, I don't know, a couple years there, uh, probably 2000, must have been 2008 through 2012. I was just mainly shooting concerts and eventually I got to a place where I wasn't doing as much video and I was actually starting to get paid to shoot concerts. And, um, I started shooting with uh, a couple like just online publications that kind of specialized in like the jam band slash festival scene at the time. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to get into, um, I started working with a couple larger festivals on the West coast and uh, a couple bands that I'd work with like string cheese incident, Humphreys McGee, who would come okay. to tour the West coast. I'd be able to get on tour with them and, you know, do the runs with them. And, um, and, the at the time the video experience I had like kind of built, um, eventually got me a job at the Oregon convention center doing corporate audio visual. And so I kind of like moved from live events of concerts now to live events of like conferences and, and meetings and all sorts of stuff. And so exciting. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, but it, it, it was a really interesting time because it allowed me to like clock in and clock out on the work that I was really getting like drained on doing 24 seven in my own business, you know? Sure. So, um, yeah, it it was, it was riveting work, you know, but, um, (laughs) no one can see the look on your face there. I know. I know. Uh, the, it, it, it it offered though, every day there'd be a different show most of the time. And I, I kind of like, I, I became, I became a video director and a video engineer there and specialized in camera systems and projection and led and directing shows. And it gave me the opportunity to like learn all these bits and pieces over the next like four or five years. And I met other companies who would hire out our, our like in-house team for their events. And I'd slip them my card be like, I'm a freelancer too, by the way. And Mm -hmm. I started to get work again as a freelancer. Um, you know, probably, I think it was like by the, by 2000, what did I write down by 2018, um, at, you know, it took about five years or so. I ended up leaving that job completely and went full time back into freelancing. Sure. Um, but over that course of that time, um, I, I shifted all my photography and personal video work into landscape and okay. mainly it was just photography in general. Um, but I had just hit this place where I was producing too much for other people constantly. And I was losing my own like love and, you know, uh, creative outlet from it. Sure. So it goes back to, again, like producing all these videos that, that I just be rolling through and editing and scrubbing and editing. And I, you know, just they would even I get paid well to produce something that they wouldn't promote well and nobody would see. And sure. photography became just my outlet, you know, and it's a thing um, you're doing for you. Exactly. Yeah. And what was nice is because I was able to s- support myself with like live events in another realm, um, it gave me the space to make photography be about me you know? Um, and it's kind of like developed from there and it's been kind of my MO with it. Like if it's not about me, like why am I doing it type angle? Um, and it, it, it complicates things as I try to want to make it a business now. Um, right. <laughs> but, 
um, photography, you know, fr since then, I mean, you know, when I started really working in live events full time in 2013, um, it also like, I learned that I didn't like, like, like being around thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, uh, mm -hmm. or not, it's not so much like, but basically, um, I needed to somehow rejuvenate myself and refresh myself. And like, and I found that, um, like being, uh, you know, finding, you know, uh, you know, the introvert in me that, um, where being outside and being by myself was like really rejuvenative, you know, or, or sure. yeah. Regenerative. I don't know. I don't know those are the correct words. <laughs> Regenerative. I like that. <laughs> Regenerative. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I kind of like, uh, found that, you know, the, the introvert part of me was just needing to be fulfilled that way. So then I can go out and work more. And as my career kept growing in live events where, you know, um, at the busiest, I was flying over a hundred flights a year. Um, and I kind of shifted back and I was on tour with bands again and then like doing more sports. And, uh, you know, the, when I left the convention center, um, I kind of took off for me and, okay. um, I'm kind of like jumping real far ahead there, but, um, no, that's okay. That's okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's, that's a pretty good, gives a pretty good timeline though. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I've, I've been spending my energy on that because I've been writing my bio on my new website. <laughs> um, so it's funny. It's been on my mind, you know, it's, yeah. it's been an interesting world now in 2020 because all this talk of live events I'm talking about has right. basically been obliterated. Um, I don't even know what to expect for live events. You know, I, I see pictures of the shows that I've worked where yeah. there's 250,000 people in one, mm -hmm. you know, venue or space or festival. And I can't even fathom that right now. So, yeah. um, yeah, I've been spending some time looking at my timeline and just trying to get my story kind of together. You know, I think that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's, you know, we've talked, I think among, among photographers and that's, you know, it seems like the, the longer you are a photographer, the more you, you know, kind of run with and are friends with other people who are involved, whether that be, you know, like I was hanging out doing some real estate work with a photographer who has a real estate company, you know, photography business, but he also does weddings and family photos. And it's interesting talking with him and then talking with my friends that are commercial photographers and then people who that are primarily landscape. And there's nobody in our, in this visual arts space that's not impacted some way, but, but yours is different. And, and I, I think it's interesting that you're saying the same stuff. It's not <laughs> really different. Um, and I, I have other friends that work in the live event space that are, you know, kind of saying, Hey, look, every single person that's my peer that I work with that I are my subs, the people that are my subcontractors, the people that I work for, every one of us is out of work. Like the entire, entire livelihood is completely shifted. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's everybody from the band, the artist, the conference, the whomever that the event is about to every person down the line who works on the tour, who works on catering, who works in lighting, who works in, right. you know, the forklift driver to the guy setting up chairs to like there it's, I never thought my industry could get wiped out that quickly until yeah. there was a virus that prevents people from meeting in spaces. Right. That's 
I, you know, it's been a wild ride, man. I mean, for me, I, um, I worked actually a lot in January and kind of into February and I was in Seattle in February for like a couple gigs and, uh, a lot of stuff went down. I had, I started to lose work in February from corporate shows in the Bay area as this thing was starting. And then, you know, everything just started canceling on me in, in, in like dominoes effect. And right. by like beginning of March, I was already buying, I was, I was hoarding toilet paper and already buying. <laughs> so you're the, the guy. <laughs> I am the guy. Yeah. And I was telling people, I was like, hoard that toilet paper. It's coming. And everybody was like, you're crazy. And, um, by March, whatever it was, 16th, everybody was hoarding toilet paper. You know, that's so funny. Um, well, we never ran out because we have, we have an Amazon subscription to toilet paper oh, and nice. I, okay. I had accidentally <laughs> let it build up a little bit and I, I hadn't turned off the subscription and we, we, I'm like, Oh yeah, we got an extra package of toilet paper. And then all this <laughs> happens. And my wife goes, do we have enough? I'm like, we have enough. We're, we're I think good we're to go. good. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're still me and my lady are talking about getting a bidet still, you know? There you go. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really crazy spot. And for me, like, uh, photography has been income for me in different forms over the last like 10 years, like, um, concert photography. I did real estate for a couple years as well. I've did weddings for a while. Um, just weddings I never really dove fully into. It was more like I was getting a couple of summer because, you know, people wanted them, but I did right. a video for them as well. And that was kind of a bigger sell and sure. even more stressful. Um, but the, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Photography is a great, it's just so, so there's so much you can do with it. Right. Um, and you know, I'm even in a position that like, I'm not spending that much time right now trying to find all the ways I can make money directly from it. I'm trying to figure out how to make a business out of doing it the way I want to do it. Um, and I'm kind of approaching it right now. Like my business plan is just kind of how it was with music where I was gigging as a musician and eventually I had to teach to make money, you know? So, um, I'm kind of wanting to go that way and, and go with, you know, photography education and, and, you know, go, you know, like, I've been kind of building this plan for the last like year, year and a half to like get into teaching workshops and running sure. workshops and and putting together tutorials. And I've been accruing a lot of content and starting to build like a tutorial package and plan um, over the last year. And then of course this 2020 happened yeah. and it's been kind of the impetus to get it done, yeah. um, which is interesting. It's still not quite there, but it's getting there. <laughs> so have you been, have you been creating uh, content for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I, uh, let me see last year, last year was a really big year for me for shooting. Um, I gigging wise, I had a really awesome client reoccurring gig that would put me to work for about 40 days at a clip. And then I'd be off for like a month and a half and then 40 days. And I was in one location and we like, we'd, we'd get weekends off. And, um, sometimes more, you know, it'd be like, there's a, there's a week off that you're getting paid for. And I, I go to death Valley for a week, you know, and whatever. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time last year filming and shooting and, um, I've been kind of just kind of similar, like what you were talking about earlier with, with YouTube videos of just like figuring out how to like promote yourself with like your intro video and the vibe and the style, um, 
I'm still at that point and I'm yeah. trying to like do it right from the get go, um, sure. which is, Oh, the hard thing sometimes, because, you know, you, sh- you know, it's a juggle, it's a toss up of either just like, you, you know, a lot of times you should just be producing and putting it out there and then kind of learning as you go. Um, yeah. which is usually how most people do things like this, you know, you know, everybody's yeah. like first YouTube video is probably pretty bad. Well, here's a good, here's a good example of mm-hmm. there's the Casey Neistat style and yeah. there's the Peter McKinnon style mm-hmm. yep. and they're good friends, but they don't, you, they don't look anything alike. Yeah. And Casey's, yeah. I know there's production happening behind the scenes, but it's, but it is really rough and that's, that is the brand. Like <laughs> That's how yeah, definitely. Done and he's and always it, kind of done it that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think it doesn't work for everybody else and you, and you yep. have to, so it's, it's a very, I think, uh, you're unlucky if you have to create super produced, um, really slick because you don't get lucky enough to be Casey. Nye, <laughs> Casey well, exactly. And it's like, the problem is, is my, my, background and expertise is in video and audio and all this other stuff that like, right. I, I feel like I need to come out on a strong foot. Sure. If sure. not, like it looks kind of bad on me if I'm like, right, right. It, it's all hokey and shitty. So that's my problem always with my, with everything I do though, is like photography, um, photography. I have more of a tendency to throw some stuff out there to see if it sticks on the wall. But mm. like my website has been like an ongoing process because I'm doing it all myself and I have really high goals sure. and I'm, I'm in a place that like, a, I have a lot of time on my hands. B, I'm like financially okay right now. And sure. like, I've worked that out for a period of time. Um, so, so C, I, you know, I'm taking the time to try to do everything right and, That's great. and not to rush it. Um, but with like my website, it took me a long time to get it to get out to people because I was just trying to do so much. And even with the, you know, YouTube, it's going to be like, I'm going to have to fight through that. Like, okay, I've been doing this a while. I need to look so good. I, you know, but it's got to get out, you know, you have to right. push it out. Um, and just like with your artwork or any, you know, photography or whatever you're doing, it's like, you have to get to a place where, um, you do have to push your work out there and maybe get the feedback and, Oh Yeah you know, and then keep working on it, you know? Well, Um, there's a, there's a software term I have, I I have run kind of, I have a bunch of friends that are all in the software development world. mm -hmm. And and then there's kind of a whole community around uh, the independent software side of things, especially in the Apple world. And I think there's this phrase that gets put out there a lot, which is ship early and ship often. (laughs) And, and, And the idea is that the longer you sit on it, the the more you're going to overthink it yep and and you've also lost the traction of all that time that it could have been out there in the world exactly yeah i mean uh i'm just about to release the next or the next release of my web website um is gonna be the big the blog actually uh system and like part of it i've I've taken it down to like this website's going to be in multiple releases because there's there's a big, there's big development going on on how to manage all my work, how to organize it, how to sell it, how am I going to blog about it, and I'm building it all myself. So um, this next blog I'm going to be putting out there, my first blog post is going to be about why I took so long to do this sure. and what my mindset was about choosing to do it the way I did. Um, yeah. 
And I find that like a lot of it is, is been my distaste with social media and distaste with other like packaged website systems that sure. I'm sure that I've like, uh, you know, I, I state it right in it, but like, most photographers can survive and be run success can run successful businesses with very simple websites. Um, what I decided to do with my website is not simple. Sure. <laughs> um, well, and I, I've seen it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, I've seen versions of it. <laughs> and it's not like it's also like I'm not like Apple here and trying to develop a new iPhone, but I'm I'm taking the time to like develop this thing um that's built for me that is useful for a photographer you sure. know um and i'm i'm trying to kind of work out all those kinks so that way maybe at the end of the day this will be a platform or a product for other photographers to oh, cool. use uh, yeah and and it might even like you know i've already been working with wordpress and now and, and web design for two years on this one project um and i've started to like look at some other projects to get involved with and also like build little small websites as like practices. Sure. Like I'm going to build a little blah, blah, blah website and I can do it now uh, pretty yeah. quickly. So it's become another skill, another trade, yeah. another trade. And the one thing I've learned over the years being a freelancer is that like you always have to diversify where you make your monies, you know, um, right. kind of like just with the photography, like, you know, landscape doesn't, you know, mountains don't pay you to take pictures of them, sadly, you know, but, right. but brides do and kids do. And, you know, there's other things that you can make money doing with photography. Um, exactly. Uh, so yeah, the, the website's also been that it's been a skill building exercise of, of learning how to design both the front end and the back end of the website. Um, and it's taken a lot of time away from photography in other ways though. Yeah. And that's been kind of another lesson I've had to learn in my photography path is that like, it's not always about taking pictures. Um, there's a lot to like running a business that doesn't have anything to do with actually the, the business, like the business of photography is not just, you know, taking pictures. So, well, most of it's not, I, this is, yep. um, kind of timely, but just a few weeks ago, Chris Burkhard released his business of photography workshop. Mm-hmm. And I had seen some, a little bit of rumblings that somebody, you know, people, people bought the workshop and they got in there and, and they were complaining saying he doesn't talk anything at all about taking pictures. And I thought, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is great. He's talking about exactly how he built his business and giving you these really practical steps on how to build it. Because the reality is almost all of the money-making and the development of that business happens sitting at a computer, you know, on the phone, composing emails, networking, meeting with people. Most of it doesn't happen out in the field. Almost none of it does. So that's, yeah, it's it's a a good, it's a good reality to be aware of early on. Yep. And I think I, I just been in a uniquely, um, a new, uniquely, like okay position through this whole COVID-19 thing, because like, I don't know, I since college, since we started talking about earlier when I was at that music store to now, um, I've kind of lived in a very pretty low, low cost life, you know, um, I've lived the poor musician life. life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, even with freelancing it, when it rains, it pours. Right. So like, 
this is it's just pouring it's, it's fucking raining right now it's pouring all over the place um and it's and it's more about shifting your priorities and finding other ways to i don't know make make money um right. and i luckily my my overall cost of life aren't too crazy like some people have um um so yeah that's that's put, just put me in a unique position to kind of yeah. hopefully just hustle through this thing um and that's i want to come i want to come out on the other side of this even stronger you know it's kind of the real goal you know so um, yeah well and and so so that is a really interesting place for us to kind of point a little different different direction mm-hmm. so you you talked about the the industry that you were involved in that you were gigging and doing work in right right up until february yeah you've mentioned you've talked about photography you've talked about your website you've talked about education what are you what are you doing now what's what are the plans um, what are you hoping to do coming out of this thing? Ooh, well, you know, um, I, it's, it's shifting every day, but you know, the goal was to approach, to get into the work, you know, the, the business of leading workshops and teaching people and, you know, producing digital tutorials and kind of going that way where a lot of photographers have gone, um, because there was, you know, there, there's good business in it, you know? Um, there's there, at least there was, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting now, like that goal is going to shift more. I think it's, I still think they're like, my goals are to, to build a business around photography education. Sure. Um, but it's also uh, all up in the air, you know, it's for me now it's, uh, I can't lie. Um, I'm trying to just keep all doors open. Um, And, but I, ideally it's, it's about finishing this, this website. Um, once the blog is out and I kind of can start producing more content there, the next release after that's going to be my digital shop. Um, and so you can purchase fine art prints and I I do want to be doing like my end game with a lot of my work is going to be large format fine art printing. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I want to get away from it being, meant to be seen on an Instagram, you know, and I wanted right. either to be on my website where I've, I've curated the viewing experience for people, or I wanted people to see it big and printed huge. Right. And I think, um, you know, COVID's going to affect that industry too. You know, there's definitely money to be made in, in high quality fine art printing. And if you can promote yourself well, and you can get into, I mean, you know, the, the, the goal before was to get into some art fairs and kind of I've been acquiring like the equipment to do um, like a decent looking, you know, art booth, you know, Um, got the walls and lights and all that stuff. And my other idea was to, you know, tour with my camera and my uh, prints and try to like set myself up through, you know, a couple weeks of art shows and then shoot on the way and, kind of yeah. again to expand where I can make some money too with my prints. Sure. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And, but you know, now again, the, um, COVID you can't get people together in groups. You can't get people together in groups. They won't um, let us leave the country. <laughs> yep. We can't leave the country and people need like expendable income to go and drop like money on some pretty pictures, you know? Right. <sighs> So it's a, it's, well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I feel like what I hear you saying, and, and I don't think this is, I don't think this is 
unique, but it's going to be a weird spot where most people that do creative service based or art based things, it's almost, we're all just kind of taking stabs at seeing what works and then something's going to work and the new normal will begin to be, you know, maybe this is a good way to think about it is that selling fine art prints was a legitimate business or, or, and or selling stock for landscape photographers until it wasn't Yep. Be- because the world changed. And, and what people did is you find that the successful landscape photographers, they started teaching, they started doing big group workshops, they started selling tutorials. And then a lot of them just stopped. They just went and got day jobs or they, you know, or lucky, they were lucky enough to retire at, be at retirement age it'll be interesting to see like what is the what's the method what is the the way that photographers come out of this um yeah it's 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 really interesting the you know when i think back in march when the lockdown started and everything meet like went online at the same time and i saw in all art areas all all different art forms from music to photography to other stuff everybody was getting on facebook live and going here's my here's my music for free here's my music here free 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 everybody's like giving away giving away giving away and i just was kind of sitting back and it reminded me like kind of like when napster came out or like these other technological and other things that occurred where like they changed and broke and you know disrupted the whole thing and it knew, you know, it, it affected the business that had been successful prior to it, but it created new business opportunities and things for the future. And you're right. right. I, you know, I feel like it's going to be, you know, um, it's under times of stress and duress that we are the most creative sometimes. And, right. you know, the best music is usually written under stressfuls, you know, pretenses or out of, you know, hard emotional situations. And, you know, um, it's going to be interested to see where it shifts. Uh, but last year I got involved luckily with the out of Chicago guys and, uh, guys and gals and peoples. Um, and I, I got to work with, um, the, the out of Oregon conference in last October here that was on the coast, uh, through my relationship with Nick page. And he connected me with Chris Smith and it was an opportunity for me to like combine, oh man, combine the conference and corporate world I was working in with photography education. So it was this, I was just super stoked about it. It was a really great mixture of everything. And when you're out on that, that conference last October, man, was, it was just the first time to get to meet some of the heroes and people that I never thought I'd get to meet unless I spent the thousands of dollars to go on workshops with them, which is pretty much also how this world works. Uh, (laughs) Right. We could talk about that for another (laughs) another time but you know it was great to go meet guys like sean bagshaw or aaron bobnick or gavin Arcastle or whatever like in like just a pared down kind of like person-to-person situation sure and um and everybody's been just doing really well like the whole industry of landscape photography has been like 2019 was a really good year for everybody and a lot of people took some big moves into this year expecting it to be the same and and now when that out of, uh, you know, they did the 
after the lockdowns happened out of Chicago did the out of Chicago live conference. And it right. was, I, they, they brought me in to help out with that too. And it was 10 zoom rooms maxed out with attendees for three or four days straight, um, going through just like meeting rooms of a, of an AV session with right. all these photographers. And it was just really interesting to see all these technical photographers who were still like, working through the like how to do a zoom meeting right and you know kind of wrapping back to what you were talking about it's just interesting now to see like in our industry who can work with the technology at hand to try to kind of keep their business strong right Um, right and and it's just it's really interesting because i feel like everything like we've been all kind of prepared you know uniquely prepared to be able to do that transition now you know, like Zoom just being free, like everything's running on it now. <laughs> you know, yeah. if this was 20 years ago and the Internet and Facebook and whatever is Netflix, you know, those things. I mean, it, we would have been in Armageddon writing yeah. months and months and months. Oh, ago. yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Well, it's 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 weird how you do start to see who's equipped and who's not. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> the well, typical the typical CEO. Um, can't, you know, they can't even screen get their share. Yeah, yeah. Turn their mic on, you know, yeah. <laughs> none of that uh, stuff. And it, well, and it was just interesting because at that time, you know, there was people, you know, there's people who do this sort of video streaming thing all the time. And then there's some of the older old school photographers again, who like, you know, still shoot film, you know, or whatever, who are there, who like aren't used to running the computer. And, and that was another kind of new role that was, uh, part of that meeting was like being the the host and being in a, like a, a zoom room. So when people come in, you can meet with them and, uh, you know, tell them how to screen share, make sure your mic's on, do all this stuff, talk about the format. And then when you open up the room, then you can show this, you know, you know, so we're, we're working to like be, build this digital meeting space and it's only growing. Um, I finally booked a gig, my first work since February and it's all directing zoom and Microsoft meeting type. It's like a show, but instead of speakers Mm -hmm. and rooms, it's going to be zoom calls coming in and mixing of audio and screen sharing to produce a show per se for, you know, so how much client, how much of that Mm. going through that process and knowing that this is, this is maybe the new, normal and not just in photo education, but in other places too, how much of that is shaping how you plan your offerings? It's a, it's with my live production work. Um, I'm expecting that as that work starts to come in, that a lot of people are going to be trying to lowball me, <laughs> you know, uh, it's going to be a juggle of like, well, no, is it a risky gig? And I should, I be getting paid more for the work I'm doing, you know? Um, but I'm also building a new business right. and, and that's a whole other thing with photography that like, you know, I, I still like, I still occasionally will shoot some, um, you know, commercial stuff or some headshots or, you know, whatever. And I have my hourly rates and in today's world, those rates are probably going to go up a little bit, you know, because I don't want to shoot headshots really. Um, 
to well, you just honest. send those my way because that's my yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'll take them right now. Um, but I, you know, yeah, for me, it's, it's, how is it shifting what my offerings are going to be? I mean, right now I'm looking for experience teaching photography. Like you kind of have to put yourself out there. And I know that like, when I think, when I, when I look at my live event work, I had bullshitted myself up the ladder so many times saying like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. And when I didn't know how to do that. Um, right. And for some reason with photography, I'm trying, I feel more self-conscious about that. I'm, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be false. I don't want to be fake. Uh, I wonder and, if there's a reason for that though. Um, oh, it's totally Instagram. I mean, yeah. I, I hate, I hate Instagram. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I, I think it's like the whole, the whole website, everything, the whole reason I've been building this, this thing has been my like loathe of Instagram and the social media currency that runs everybody's lives on there. Um, it doesn't run everybody's lives. It's all by choice, but you know, that distaste, you know, distaste for Instagram has pushed me to try to be as real as possible. Sure. And one of the things I've been working on and thinking about is like, what's my voice going to be? You know, um, you kind of talked about YouTube and whatever, or even you starting this podcast is you got to kind of come up with what your shtick is, right? Right. Exactly. You know, um, and I'm gonna, I think I've come to Jesus with the fact that I'm, I'm very honest and I want to be that type of photographer and educator like I'm not going to like an image that I don't like. I'm not going to follow somebody I don't like. Um, I'm I'm not going to play in. I, I, I'm 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 making an attempt to not play into the algorithm, and with that comes this urge to make sure that I'm just staying as true to myself as I possibly can be. Um, and if I feel like I'm being fake to myself, then that's the worst. You know, like I don't sure. know. Um, I don't even care what other people really think about, like, because again, it's people can make a decision about me all they want. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and I think, so is there something you said there? Um, this idea that as a photographer in this visual medium where there are lots of people who don't, there's not a, there's not a, some kind of a, uh, initiation ceremony. And so Everybody takes pictures, including teen, teen, there are teenagers out there who have almost zero life experience and zero schooling that take better pictures than we do. Oh, yeah. I found a guy, I found a, just on a side note, I found a kid who's on TikTok. He has 7 million followers oh, yeah, on TikTok. He has an Instagram account with 500,000 followers and his images aren't good. I mean, this isn't me trying to be an asshole or hating on somebody. This is just like but, the reality, you know, but anyways. well, I'm talking about, the, I'm talking about the one that actually is better than both of us. <laughs> cause, cause I have There's seen those too. too. Yep. And, and yet I think the difference is like you were saying, you kind of, and this is a, this is a theme I'm noticing through my interviews, this idea of the fake it till you make it, you, you're, you put yourself out there and you just pick up work. And I think in a, in an industry where you're a, where it's a service oriented thing, like the audio visual stuff you were doing, they don't know the difference. You're not competing with the hobbyist. You're coming in and doing something that's so crazy. And you're like, they're like, Hey, can you rig up this lighting to do this with this background projected on? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I can make that happen. And then you go figure it out, but they couldn't do that. And the difference is 
when somebody says, Hey, can you teach me how to use this Photoshop action? And there's a difference because you actually have to be able to really do it and show them how to do it. And there are lots of people out there that, um, there's lots of hobbyists that can do this. It doesn't have to be your career. And so I think maybe that's a little bit more that, that puts the pressure on a little bit more, like what you do, it has to be real and it has to be, you, you kind of can't fake your way through it as much as you could with a service thing. Like when somebody says, Hey, I want my headshots to look this way. Well, I can look that up and figure it out and bring in my lighting, which they don't have. And I'm bringing in tools and I'm making things happen when it's, when it's, um, when it's education, it's a little different. You actually have to, you have to know it. You got to know your shit to teach it. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll stick out like a sore thumb if you don't, you know, right, and right. I feel like, you know, YouTube will, it can be, you know, <laughs> YouTube will slay you to death. If like your content sucks, usually, That's you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. And there's a big part of that is like, um, getting myself, I've been behind the camera so much, you know, again, I have this idea and visual aesthetic of how I want to do it, but I don't spend that much time in front of the camera. So that's been a whole other thing too, of like almost leaning back to when I played guitar and being like the band leader and singing and being in a, you know, playing music in front of hundreds of people or thousands of people was like, it took effort. And I've been, it's been so long since I've been there and I've lived in the shadows for so long, uh, you know, working bigger stages and doing bigger things that now I'm like, okay, I have to put myself out there. Sure. And so even more so I want to make sure that I'm just trying to, again, I just, for my own sake, need to be real for myself, yeah. you know, and I want my work to represent that. And I'm, a, I'm on a, I'm on a trip of, trying to be as original as I can, you know, let's talk about that more. Sure. Let's, let's yeah. talk about that more. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm actually really curious about that. You mm-hmm. talked about wanting to be honest and having, and moving away from what you're perceiving from platforms like Instagram and, ha- and I would love to know your artistic vision for that. Like, how do you want to see your photography grow or what is already in your photography that you want to develop more? Like if there's something you're already doing that you really love and you want to develop more of, that's cool. I'd love to know about that. But also where do you want to go with it? Oh man. Um, yeah, I think, I think my artistic vision is, is kind of danced around like, this mix of like perfect perfectness, like yet magical and kind of like other dimensional, um, like trying to find psychedelic, you know, uh, trying to almost like, like create a psychedelic scene for people that borderline something that you could dream or something that is real. Um, and I feel like the, you know, I live around compositions. Like I think compositionally is where I try to be the most unique I can as like next to just straight up copy, you know, like there's comps that you have to take sometimes that you're just like, that's it, you know? And like, (laughs) this is where the trail ends. (laughs) This is where the trail ends. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, but it's, there's. I lean back on my, my push away from social media to also has, has created an urge for me to hunt and look and try to find 
as unique of a scene as I can at places that people visit often, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, nothing has been, you know, very seldom, very few things are unshot anymore. Right. Um, so how can I create an image that is unique to me? And, you know, um, with the camera, it's, it's one of the great, I, I love photography as an art form because you have this like magical wizardly control of time and right. you can show the world in one frame, like one image can say more than an hour long movie, sure. you know? Um, and, and that was always my, my pull towards photography, even back in the day when I was doing all the video work was just like the power of one image and yeah. with my landscape work, like I'm, you know, I'm heavily influenced by a lot of the, you know, close front type photographers like Nick Page and Ryan Dyers and all, all those guys. And, um, I'm also really influenced by a lot of the smaller scene folks like Alex Noriega and, um, you know, like I, I, I like all of it, but I've seen the trend in my work from when I was a, concert photographer to even real estate and other work that I am always looking at scenes that are like wider than the eye can see or tighter than the eye can see. Sure. Um, and, and the, the work I'm trying to put out there, I'm trying to kind of bend the mind a little bit, like, like kind of break what you might see, you know, and, it, and I, I want to create like an emotional response from people that, you know, comes from like, visually almost assaulting people. Um, and like my, yeah. uh, my other business, like my live event business is called visual suplex. And uh -huh. for folks that don't know what a suplex is, it's a wrestling move where you pick somebody up and you slam them on your head behind you. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I initially, like when I started Instagram, it was all, it was visual suplex. And I was always promoting myself as, as a, as a label like that, you know? Sure. Um, but I shifted a couple of years ago. Like I changed my Instagram account to my personal name and my, like my fine art, like landscape nature photography is all underneath my name. And then like all the post-production and live event work I do is under visual suplex. Yeah. And I still kind of like, I'm still in that realm with my work. I feel, um, and I'm, you know, it's, I've never had anybody really describe my work to me. Sure. Um, that that's a hard one because like people don't want to, you know, like, you know, social media is not the place to find honest opinions about your work. There's some other things like nature photographers network that you can get some good feedback on. But even right. then it's like, I've, I've reached out to some professional photographers who were like, yeah, if you paid me, I oh, give yeah. you a, I'll give you a full critique of your work and I've yeah, thought yeah. about it because at this point it seems like the only way to get an honest opinion about what you're doing, you know, cause I might, well, I might be all like I'm unique and different and I might not be. <laughs> well, it's such a, it's such an interesting, that's an interesting viewpoint because I think a lot of those folks that if they are kind of new guard, you know, the, the younger or not, not necessarily younger, but if they are part of the newer generation of uh, digital landscape photographers, I think a lot of them are looking for, they're looking for different ways to broaden their, you know, their revenue stream. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. they're going to, they're going to charge for that. And then you have a lot of the, if you get an old, old school photographer, a lot of times they 
they might think of it a little, in a little more comp- competitive terms. I, th- I find that with with some older photographers, they seem there's a little more competition involved, um, yep. and they, they think of it that way. So it's not that they don't want to share their knowledge; it's that they view anybody else. They think what they have is some kind of secret sauce. And well, so and there's yeah, go ahead. So they're a little careful about what they divulge and they're not picky about, they're not tight with locations. They're tight with process, Mm -hmm, which is, mm -hmm. which is something I found that's interesting. Um, A few of the old school film landscape photographers, they're really stingy with their, how they process and how they think about the entire photographic process. But you know, but they don't, they don't care. They'll tell you where they went. So it's, it's a different sort of a different sort of mindset for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like there's just going back to the whole like photography conference world. That's where those folks can shine. And, yeah. and, and like, I hope we can get back there because like Chris and the folks over at out of Chicago have really been helping uh, like a lot of these photographers old and new yeah. move along through this by providing them other opportunities to teach. And like, I, oh man, I can't talk more i can't talk any any good any more good about chris and them because um hopefully we can get back to how they were you know doing the live events because a lot of these folks you know that's that's a great way too where you can get those older photographers to help make a living out of the things they've learned over the years and whatever and bring some legitimacy to this because in a lot of other art fields or other fields like man like you know it's just stepping real but back a sec like you know, um, the whole imposter syndrome is even more amplified because things like Instagram, like the quality of your work is not related to your follower count and your, um, the, you know, like your follower count does not equal actual constructive criticism or actual rating of your work. So, you know, the problem is, is, you know, you have everybody on there who hits a certain amount of followers and then they think they can start teaching or, you know, whatever. And, and I feel like there's gotta be something unique behind what you're teaching, you know, or or there should be, um, granted, like everybody, if if you can be a good educator and not a good photographer and that's okay, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's no problem with that. Um, and in fact, that might, you know, that was kind of me as a guitar player. I was like, not the greatest teacher at that at Uptown, but I was like, I fit a little niche that was like, I'm sure. kind of the younger, you know, I was like focusing on songwriting and like improv and like how to kind of be like, yeah, man, you know, type guy, you know, um, <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with photography, I hope to, you know, establish a little world like that similarly, you know, that's great. um, and that's been kind of like the next goals is just now with my blog coming out it's giving me an opportunity to like state my create my voice in a written form. I'm going to see how that goes. I think yeah. I write well enough and it reads well. And again, I'll see, I don't know. People might yeah. hate it. <laughs> um, I well, hope put people it out tell there me see. they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And well, the problem is, is like, it's going to be a while for anybody even sees it anyways, because of just how things trickle. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So, and so when you're talking about the, the, the style and kind of what you're wanting to portray Mm -hmm. the idea that it's, it's, you didn't use this word, but almost like it's kind of fantasy. Like Mm -hmm. these are, these are kind of, you're almost wanting to portray something that's just so far. It, it feels it's, you know, you look at it and you go, it's photo real, but it feels like, holy crap. Like, what is this? 
It seems like that's kind of what you're going for. Tell me about how you approach that from a from a capture and then a post-processing standpoint. Mm -hmm. You know, are you are you making that out of a single image? Are you is that something you pull into uh, your computer and then you immediately export and it's done? Or what does that look like for you? What do you what are you comfortable with from a from a processing standpoint? And how do you do that? Well, um, so for me, uh, most of my work nowadays, I'm, I'm always work like I'm, I'm trying to work in a, um, uh, non-destructive workflow as much as possible. Um, I've, I'm so, I've been, I've been in a tech and technology and cameras and imaging now for years that I'm like really into coaxing, um, and pulling as much information out of the camera and lens I have and the image I'm creating. And I'm, and I kind of was talking about before about this, like kind of magical perfection, like right. part of what tries to bring, like I try to bring people back to reality is that perfectness to it, you know, and this, and this ability to be like, as a photographer, I can just control time as I will. And I can make an image. Like if I have, if I can slow down enough, to take an image, I can make it perfect too. It's kind of been a mindset I've had. And so when I'm out shooting, I'm thinking about how to capture, like I'm I'm always trying to keep it as simple as I can, but sometimes, you know, you have, I feel like I have to work a little harder and kind of pick and choose and grab bits and pieces from an area to, to sometimes assemble an image. Um, and it's not like I used to, like when I first learned Photoshop and masks and stuff, I was just slapping shit all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, but now I'm, it's kind of because I've like went through that process and I'd bring it into Photoshop and I'd struggle, like I'd spend all this time trying to make a blend work well that shouldn't even be blended. You the know, raw parts aren't really adequate for it. Exactly. And then, so then when I go back out in the field, I'm thinking differently either about how to get it in one shot or what I messed up on earlier, um, on how do I cover myself, yeah. um, through what I'm capturing. So, um, when I'm shooting, I'm almost always, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm wide angle, I'm almost always focus stacking. Um, so I'm always grabbing frames from the front to back of the image. Um, I'm using, um, the histogram quite often to do my own like manual bracketing. So instead of just letting the camera bracket, I will use my histogram and change my shutter speed or ISO or whatever I need, usually shutter speed, um, to make sure I'm not clipping my highlights or my shadows. So I don't need to take a bunch of extra shots. Um, uh, that was a good one. I think Sean Bagshaw was who I learned that one from through one of his tutorials, you know? Um, and I'm thinking in my head how to grab as much of the data as I can there yeah. in lieu of how I'm going to process it later. Yeah. And then I'm almost always, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm almost always round tripping from Lightroom to Photoshop and back to Lightroom. Sure. Um, and I like to, try to keep all my layers as smart objects in Photoshop. And I organize my master files in like folders and ways. And I, I process in a very specific um, way every time. So that yeah. way, if I want to go back to that image years from now, I can go and tweak 
because there's images I have from years ago that I've actually have reprocessed with minimal labor on me because of the way I set the image up um, and gave me that flexibility. And then I've had images, I've had, I've had images that are just flattened and then they're just hosed. Yeah. yeah. Kind of sucks. (laughs) I Um, actually shared an image today mm -hmm. that it was taken in 2013, I think Mm -hmm. on a little tiny crop sensor, 16 megapixels. And I thought I only had the JPEG and I dug around through all of my, through hard drives and I found the raw file and I reprocessed it (laughs) and it it totally, it totally holds up because, because it's the raw file because there's no, you know, nothing's baked in, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because my, uh, when I was shooting events, it was like, I'd shoot thousands of images and I spent so much time in Lightroom. And I, I, when I was, when I got into photography, Lightroom was the thing. Um, funny, funnily enough though, I've been using Photoshop since 1997. Um, (laughs) I had a, like, I think it was Photoshop five or something. I shit. It was like the first computer I ever built. A family friend put Photoshop on it and I've been farting around with Photoshop since then. I mean, it's, you know, (laughs) more than 20 years, you know, it's, uh, and so it, it, what was crazy was, is, um, just kind of just jumping back real quick. Um, I, when I was doing concert photography, I was in Lightroom all the time. So I, it became an integral part of my like calling process and organization. Um, and Photoshop at that time, I was doing a lot of like, uh, posters and graphic design work for venues. And I worked at a recording studio. Yeah. So I wasn't even touching Photoshop ever with my photography. And then, yeah, it was about 2015, um, 14 that landscape became the priority. And then I learned about, I, well, there was one photographer I'd followed on Instagram. Um, his name is Gabe Rodriguez. He's out of the uh, Monterey area. Um, mm-hmm. and he was the first like guy I saw who had that like mystical Orkney landscapey look. And I was like, how yeah. do you do this? Yeah. You know? And he was like, Ryan Dyer, look his stuff up. And <laughs> that kind of set me down a whole other path. And yeah. about then 2015, 16, I, I, I just fell in love with learning again. Like up until that point, I wasn't really trying to learn new skills with photography yeah. or Lightroom. I was just working constantly, kind of, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh wait, here's a new skill I can learn and I can learn it myself. And here's the, all these tutorials out there. And it, and it was like combination and excitement of learning and like a new art form that really just kind of broke me out of a lot of like, I was at the time even kind of just, just burn out and just struggling a lot mentally. And it gave me, it opened me wide open, man. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, and, that's really cool. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I, it's, I, 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 you know, it was, there were some key moments in that learning process that, that gave me just, just allowed me to continue to work more in my career better, you know, by giving me the outlet of photography and, and kind of giving me an, an emotional break and giving me that space to be by myself and, and kind of like make something for myself, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's cool because, because it allows you like that particular, you know, that style and the, the look of, of those photographers. It's interesting because it, it shows, you know, kind of where you could go with a landscape, making a landscape still like, 
hey, this is still a real place, but you can push the 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 feel, the 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 mood. Yeah, and I feel like I don't mimic these guys. Like I don't look at like Nick Page's work, but I'm definitely influenced by him and he's a buddy too. So it's like, you know, I'll throw shit at him and he'll throw shit back at me. And it's, you know, that's great. But I still like, I'm, I, I can't even put my own finger on it sometimes about maybe what's like, I feel like something's different about what I'm doing sometimes. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, kind of taking this opportunity with that's like, good. You know the blog and website to be, yeah. just be like, what is that difference? You know, no, what it's am a good I time doing? to work that out. Yeah, well, I think I think that's the thing that when we when you try to work out, you know, it's one thing to just make photos for yourself. It's it is also interesting when you want to share to figure out like, how is this? How is this unique? Or and even if it's not completely unique, how does it represent you and how you see the world? Um, and and somebody's you're going to connect that it's going to connect with somebody um yeah yeah i hope so i mean we're not all that different you know, you know? yeah yeah and it's, it's 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 we're not all that unique either you know at the same time it's it's you know um, so one of the, one of the people that came to mind just talking about hearing the way you talk about what you're aiming for have you are you familiar with max rave with his work oh yeah totally yeah okay. and i, I bought <laughs> his workshops too uh, or his yeah. tutorials not the greatest, I, <laughs> not great tutorials. No. Um, what I find though, is that every time I look at one of his images, I just, go, you kind of have to go, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know there are some basic explanations to some of the tricks he's doing, but I find that it's always interesting to, to say, okay, why does it move me? Why does, when I see images, what is it about this that, that grabs my attention? And in his case, I think he's using some pretty severe perspective blending and he's constructing these crazy landscapes out of, you know, 12 millimeters on one end and 70 or a hundred on the other end. And, and it's all blended into this thing that feels like what it would feel like to be there, but you know, it's not possible to take that picture with one lens. And you know? it's, it's almost technically perfect. I mean, exactly. that's, that's one of those goals I'm always striving for is technically like technical, technically technical perfection sometimes Sure. that like, if I'm going to do a blend, it better damn well be perfect, you know, yeah. or like, I'm not going to leave some artifacty crap just because it's going on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I take that stuff to heart, you know? So it's yeah. like, if you like, it's always been about if I'm going to utilize a post-production technique or post-processing technique, it better be done well, you know, or done yeah. right. Um, and, or at least just, realize that it's not done well enough and that next time you're going to do a better job. Yeah. You know, it, 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 you know, we're all on the path of learning here. You know? Well, and I, I kind of like the idea of embracing really epic manipulation mm-hmm. and not trying to pretend it's not real, not trying to, pre- to pretend that that's what you actually saw, but man, and that's one, of, maybe that's one of the things I like about, and I brought up Max Reeve. I just feel like it's so fantastical and crazy that you, you, you look at it and you go, I know this isn't, I know that there's something going on here, but it's so crazy that I don't quite know exactly how he did it. And, and I, and I, and I love that. I love feeling like, yeah, I'm being manipulated, but I'm okay with it because it's so out there. 
And it kind of reminds me a little bit, I don't know how much, how much experience you have with film photography, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, okay. So this is a, kind of an interesting thing that we don't really have in the digital world, but you should, um, if you haven't spent much time listening to or watching Ben Horde's pod or Ben Horn's YouTube videos. I have. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Okay. So Ben is a large format eight by 10 shooter, right? And what, the one thing they have that we don't is the ability to move to have all these different movements and to move the bellows to to focus and perspective shift in camera while they're shooting. And it's a little bit of like the same kind of stuff I was talking about with Max Reeve, where you have extreme, he has really extreme perspective blending, but you can do that in camera with an eight by 10 field camera. Yeah, it's cool. And that whole concept, we would frown, you know, there's a lot of people in the digital world who would totally frown on if you did that sort of thing in the digital world, but that's been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, like tilt, tilt shift lens almost yeah. too. is a very similar idea. You know? It's like tilt shift lens, but taken to an extreme mm-hmm. because you're not just, you're not just tilting just the lens. You're also tilting the entire movement. Um, and I think that it's kind of a weird thing to also think about how far you can push negatives and, and, and slide film even more in some ways, the way that you dodge and burn in the, in the dark room is, is really more of a Photoshop thing than a Lightroom thing. Lightroom is, you know, adjust some sliders, bump some contrast here. That's not what dodging and burning is. Dodging and burning is a really different process. And I think that I love the idea because I feel like it digs into the way that photography has been thought about for you know, hundreds, you know, the last hundred years, not just what's been happening since Photoshop became a thing. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it, you know, again, I, I, everybody kind of, you don't, so any of these big post-processors, you know, you can think about, or, you know, young and new or, you know, new, new and old, um, there, nobody's out there like I post-process, but you see these guys who are like, I'm all in camera and try to promote themselves as like, I'm better than not, not that they're better than you, but you know, they're kind of trying to play off like they're all in camera technique, you know, blah, 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 blah. I kind of want to like, I would love to sit and just talk to people about post-processing and how to like exploit your camera to create imagery, you know, and use every bit of pixel and every bit of Photoshop and every bit of tool you have to create art. And that would be kind of the, like the premise of that idea. I think that sounds great. Well, so we are getting kind of, we've been going for a long time. So I want to, want to kind of, um, start wrapping things up and ask you a, a couple, couple more questions. Yeah. Um, the first one is that um, I would love to know if there's anybody that you think I should talk to on the podcast. Oh, cool. Um, one of my ones that I always think about is uh, one of my favorite photographers is Paul Grossman. Okay. He's a, he's a, a wave photographer. Um, tel- mainly focuses on like telephoto water shots of like waves Okay. Cool. Uh, and he's, and he's Australian. So oh, nice, know, that, nice. that might be a reach. Um, but he's, yeah, he's one of those guys that I would love to just hear about his technique because like he's shooting in the water, you know, with yeah. a telephoto lens and getting these, like the weight, the wave images he makes look like mountains 
and like um like ah just the textures and the lights he goes for it's, sure. it's really really cool um let's see you know it'd be cool like you know if if you need i could also connect you to guys like sean bagshaw that would be okay. another really fun one to get somebody on here to talk to yeah yeah you know chris smith would be a really cool one to talk oh, yeah. to um, from out yeah. of out of Chicago, he's a good guy to meet and kind of get connected with. Um, yeah, that would be definitely interesting. Yeah, you know, you should go right. and get you should go and get a uh, Matt Payne on your podcast because you were on his. <laughs> I had uh, I was on his. Yeah, yeah. And be like, come on, <laughs> come on, let's talk. No, yeah. that's great. I appreciate. I don't know that. if people want to hear him talk more because he already has a podcast. Um, one of the things I focused on is really digging in and wanting to know the story of you know who you are and why you do what you do. And the thing that I think could be interesting, um, I, I know Matt's been interviewed elsewhere, but it's great when you get the person who normally does the interviewing when they are behind the microphone, when they are on the other yeah. side um, and you get to say, okay, so tell me about like, how does this fit into your life? How often, you know, how, how many podcasts do you record a week? When do you do it? When you have a full-time job, how do you balance that? Um, what you know how often do your family does your family come along on these crazy trips you go on you know that or when do they just stay home and mm-hmm. those are the things i'm kind of interested in so that could be an interesting interview I, and uh, matt matt's a friend we've been we've, we've we've chatted quite a bit so i'll have to yeah. have to see if i can get him on here tell me about where we can find where people can find your work and see what you're up to yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I mentioned it a couple times, but I got this sweet, spiffy new website at jordanengley.com. Um, that's kind of going to be the new hub of where all my social media will be connected. My newest work will go on there first. I'm going to be writing blogs and articles and getting my videos up there. So that's a good place to start. Um, I mainly, I just creep in the shadows on Instagram. Um, uh, that's probably the main platform where most of my energy goes with social media and my photography, um, on Facebook and Flickr and F stoppers, um, are my other couple ones that I've been kind of F stoppers and Flickr. Like I've been putting some effort back into Flickr because it's just it's an old school platform and sure. it looks so much better than Instagram on yeah. there. And, and I, you know, I, I try to avoid Facebook now, like at least until after the election. There you go. Yeah. But there's still a lot of people who are on there that aren't on other things. So yeah. It's so true. website, social media, you know, you can shoot me an email anytime. Um, you know, uh, and like I said, I just, you know, I'm kind of here to be real and opinionated and honest with people. No, that's great. So that's great. I like it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to make this happen today. It's yeah. now you got to go Dan. be outside in the sun. No, I plan it on just, I'm going to, you can keep working on my website. I'm gonna, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> a I'm man like, with dedication. Literally, literally about to make a release. So maybe by the time this podcast is posted, I'll, the new version will be out with the blog. So that's the plan. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. All right, cool. Thanks, right, man. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate, appreciate you having me on, buddy. You bet. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at GoTakePictures. 
New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures. <laughs>